If you want to measure your faith and see if you're really being a spiritual person, James is going to not cut you any slack. James is going to speak the truth. And it, it comes through. Uh, I love that verse in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says the Word of God is living and active and it's like a two-edged sword that divides between joints and marrow and motives and, and uh, heart. And, it, and, and that's really true, the Word of God. And, and the book of James is such a great example of that. It just comes in and it just lays us bare. It exposes where, what our motives are. It exposes our hearts. And so we can come to God and go, Oh, God, thank you for showing me. It hurts. Good. But thank you for showing me. And now transform me that my life and my thinking would begin to line up with your thoughts. Anybody want that to happen? Boy, I want that to happen in my life. So this morning we are looking at the end of chapter 1. And... Um, we're going to be talking about what James says about getting along with one another. Getting along with one another. Uh, what a fake type relationships look like versus genuine or authentic spiritual relationships and how we get along with one another. I'm going to cover some different things that James talks about. So, first of all, is this area of relational conflicts, anything any of you guys ever deal with? Anybody ever have issues with family members, extended family? I've got cousins that have cut me off in the last couple years, and it wasn't because I said anything. It's because they believed things about me that they never asked me were true or not. They just figured that because you're a Christian, you must fall right here politically or, or whatever. And uh, it's like, okay. I didn't get a chance to even say anything. Just kind of got cut off. But um, I love this, uh, this passage here. I'm going to read in, in chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And we're just going to read the first, few verse, first couple verses right now. James says, and this is the, uh, I think this is the English Standard Version, ESV. Know this, my beloved brothers. And now you've got to realize that when he says brothers and he's speaking to the whole church, it's an inclusive word that really means everybody, okay? Brothers and sisters. Many of your versions that are newer translations are going to say brothers and sisters, okay? So it was when they said the word brothers, adelphoi in Greek, it means inclusive when it's used in that context. So know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick, and the word means prompt or ready, be quick to hear or listen, quick to listen. Be slow or delayed to speak, and slow or delayed to get angry, and that word anger means to have violent or passionate Response, for the anger of man, or human anger, does not produce or bring about God's righteousness, or the things that are right with God. Okay? Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, 
is the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, he just said a whole lot in two, two, two sentences there, or one big sentence, I guess it is. So notice here that he's describing an interaction between people. He's describing communication. Okay, he's got, he's got uh, one person talking to another. Johnny, could you come up for a second and bring your cell phone? Thank you. So, so he's describing somebody's talking to me, and he says, be, for me, first of all, I have to make a choice to be quick to hear or listen, right? So Johnny's talking. It's assuming that he, Johnny's talking to me, okay? And, um, and, and he's telling me about his day, and he's expecting me to be paying attention. Now, I remember when I was a young man, and I was working a roofing job. One of my friends, Billy, said... Uh, Today, he, one day he said in the morning, he said, he said, I am so poor, Jim. He said, I am so poor, I can't even pay attention. And, you know, it stuck with me. I began to realize attention is a resource. Attention is something that's valuable. And if Johnny's talking to me, my attention to him, to hear him, is very valuable. Now, if I've got a phone in my hand, and Johnny's talking to me, you know. So what's happening? Am I choosing to hear? Am I choosing to listen? No. I'm choosing me. I'm choosing to choose me ahead of him. Thank you, brother. And so the first choice is the choice of giving someone the gift of our attention, our focus, where we actually listen. That's what listening means. Um, I'm reading a wonderful book called The Lost Art of Listening by uh, Dr. Michael Nichols, and um, I love this uh, quote. Nothing hurts more than the sense that the people we care about aren't really listening. We never outgrow the need to have our feelings known. That's why a sympathetic ear is such a powerful force in human relationships and why the failure to be understood is so painful. I could go on and read more, but it's, <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm you. I'm reading the book. You're probably going to get more as, it goes, as we go along because it is just packed. So, first step, he's communicating to me. I have a choice. A choice to listen and give my attention. Hearing... It's not quite the same as listening, is it? Listening has to do with our attention. Hearing is just the, the sounds coming into our, our physical organ, the ear. Attention requires a choice. The second thing intentional listening requires is another choice, is to wait. It's to let somebody completely finish what they're saying. And I am, I want to hasten to say that this is the thing I'm the most guilty of in my marriage, my communication with my wife. She will start talking and before she's finished, I'm answering. Now, am I the only guy in here that does that? Oh, good to know. How many ladies experience this with your husband or your, your, uh, your significant other? I'm sure you would all raise your hands if you were being honest. 
Is this just a guy thing or is it also, well, mostly a guy thing, my observation. Mostly, this is a guy thing. And I think my wife has asked me so many times, why did you cut me off? You didn't even give me a chance to finish saying what I was saying. And, and I, I think, if I'm honest with you, it's ego. It's I think I know what she's going to say. I am... Um, I am basically assuming I know what she's going to say. We all know what assume spells, right? Starts with an A. Yeah, okay. It makes one of those things out of you and me, but me particularly. So the second thing we are asked to do is to be slow or to delay in speaking. That means we wait until that person whom we have given the gift of our attention has completely said what they have to say. When you cut them off, what is it telling them? Exactly. They don't matter. Now the people you have the most conversations with are probably going to be your family members. Do you want them to believe that they don't matter? But I'm convicted myself because I do it. This is an area where I need Jesus to transform me by His Spirit. I need to be confronted by His Word. I need to go to Him and say, God, I have fallen again. I have interrupted. I've been prideful. I've been arrogant. I've assumed. And I am in the doghouse. Lord, help me. Lord, transform me. Now, if we continue to cry out to God as we fail, over time, as we let the Holy Spirit work in us, change and transformation will take place. So there is hope. Can you say, I have hope? <laughs> I have hope. All right, so the third thing we're told to delay is anger. Anger. And I thought, why, why does he just use anger? Why does he just use the one word? Why doesn't he um, add a lot to it? And I think it's because anger is kind of an encompassing word that, that really has to do with my reaction. My, the person I'm listening to is talking, and I'm beginning to process, and I'm beginning to think, well, they think this, and they're doing this, and they're, they're, their motive is this. And I begin to build a case, even while I'm listening. Or, not I was listening, maybe I'm not listening now, because I'm too busy building my case. And I'm getting hot. That's what the word really means. It means to be passionate, to be angry in a sense of passion stirred up. How many of you guys are like me and that anger is kind of like the default emotion in your house growing up? When my dad got afraid, he'd get mad. When my dad um, got hurt by somebody or, or hurt by anything, he'd get mad. Default motion for my dad was anger. I grew up in an angry home with an angry dad. He's an awesome guy. But that was the way he was raised. And I turned out just like that. When we had little kids, 
And the kids started crying, and it was, I was trying to do something, and the kids were crying. What did I do? I got angry. And, and at first, I, when I started to learn how to, as a young father to discipline my kids, I'd get angry and whack them. And my wife said to me, honey, you cannot discipline our kids in anger because that's going to hurt them, their soul. And I had to learn to, to go, oh, stop on the anger and, and cool down and learn to discipline my kids out of love and out of, for training them, not punishing them because I was mad at them. Now, I know I'm getting close to home with some of you guys, <laughs> but tell you what, I was, a, I was a real good example of an angry dad. It, it, God had to work with me and work with me in this area of stopping and checking yourself. When he says delay your anger, it means get a hold of yourself. Grab yourself by the back of the neck and say, all right, I need to finish listening, first of all, to make sure that I'm really hearing everything correctly and not letting all my thoughts and my emotions come up and color what I think the person is saying. So, do you see that we have three choices here? We've got the choice to give our attention, our focused listening. We have the choice to shut our mouth and not open it until they are finished listening. I'm finished speaking, excuse me. And then we have the choice to say no to our emotions that want to react and overact to put a hold on our anger. Ephesians 4.26 is an amazing verse that says, be angry but don't sin. I like that verse. It allows me to be angry. It just doesn't allow some kinds of anger and it doesn't, and it doesn't allow me to use my anger to hurt somebody. I don't know about you, I was also raised in a house where anger was a weapon. My dad used anger to bring us into control, to bring us into line. And he was raised that way too. I remember the 59 Chevy station wagon. I'm really dating myself. And four little boys in the back seat. And my mom and dad driving to Canada to go fishing on a vacation. And me picking on my little brother Greg and my dad just reaching back and going like that as fast as he and hard as he could, trying to catch me. Me ducking, you know, those big bench seats that had a lot of floor space under there. Under, and, and I could get down fast. I was quick. I was expecting it too. Because I knew I was tormenting my brother. I was not going to get away with it. My dad would say things like, Jimmy, you're cruising for a bruising. And uh, I'd be watching for that bruising real fast. So anger... It's not wrong to feel anger. Anger is the emotion that, that you have when an injustice happens, when something wrong happens, and it can be other reasons too. But you need to know why am I angry and what am I going to do when I'm angry? Am I going to use that anger to lash out and react and hurt the people I love? Or am I going to use that anger to go to God and say, Lord, I'm really mad. I am upset and I'm angry and, and I, and, uh, I want to hurt somebody. You know, every one of us gets provoked to anger at some time, maybe this morning, I don't know. 
And we've got to take what James says to heart, and that is to, to, to stop it before it hurts, before it reacts and does damage to the people that we love the most. All right, the second thing that James says to us is that we have to get our hearts cleared out. Uh, we've got to make space for God's Word and God's Spirit in order for transformation to happen so that we can have these communications that are healthy and authentic and life-giving. When it says that produces righteousness, God's righteousness is talking about life-giving. Okay? So I'm going to read verses, uh, tw verse 21. James says after this about these three decisions of, of listen, hold your tongue, don't react. Now he explains how you can actually do that. Okay? He says, therefore, put away, and literally the word is a sailing term, means to stow it. You like that word? Stow it. I love it. Put away, stow all filthiness, which is moral pollution and defilement, and rampant wickedness, which literally means every expression of evil, and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word. the implanted word which is able or has the power to save your soul. James is telling us you're not going to succeed in those three things I just asked you to do. It's just to really listen with attentiveness. Hold your tongue and check your anger. You're not going to be able to do that unless your heart is clean. Unless you've done the work that it takes. And he says there's two things here. You've got to reject some things and you've got to receive some things. And the first thing you have to reject, he talks about this, um, put away all filthiness or stow it. Stow all filthiness and uh, literally spiritual defilement and pollution in your life. He does not give us examples. That drives me crazy. I want to go, James, what do you mean? You know, and I think it's because you know who will show us if we listen? The Holy Spirit. When he uses these terms, filthiness and rampant wickedness, I just wish he would tell me, what do you mean, James? I mean, but the, when the Lord says to me, well, all you got to do is get a pencil and a paper and just start thinking about the things that you're battling, the areas where you are, through your thoughts, your words, your attitudes, are experiencing wickedness or defiling in your life. And begin to write those down and take those to the Lord. He says that we can actually get rid of those things by stowing them. And what I think he means by stowing them is getting rid of them by, by giving them to God to take away. Lord, I was really angry this morning. Lord, I was jealous. Or Lord, I was, um, I was bitter. Lord, I was unforgiving. Lord, I was, I was irritated. Whatever the attitude, whatever it was you're battling with it, that the Holy Spirit's pointing out. Saying, all right, Lord, you want me to stow it, so I'm going to stow it with you. I'm going to give it to you. Take it away. 
So that first thing that he asks us to do is reject. And the second thing he asks us to do is receive. Reject the stuff that we are walking in that's polluting us, polluting our relationship, polluting our conversations. You ever had to try to have a conversation with somebody you're mad at? Doesn't work too well. Or you're jealous of? Or you think you're better than? Those things, if we bring those things into the table, it's like carrying a backpack in that doesn't even allow us to see correctly. It, it prejudices us. It causes us to see with a filter. He's saying you've got to get rid of that stuff. You've got to give that stuff in your heart to the Lord. The second thing he says there is you've got to receive the implanted word. And I, I think the term there. It's, it's actually looking at the Word of God like a seed that you plant. In fact, Jesus talked about a farmer that planted a seed, and then overnight the seed, I mean, over a few nights it sprouted and grew into a beautiful plant. And he said the seed is the Word of God in Luke chapter 8. The Word of God, as you allow it into your life, into your thoughts, into your consciousness, it will begin to be like a, a seed that, that sprouts in you and all of a sudden it starts to grow and it starts to change the way you think, the way you live. But if you don't give it opportunity, you won't have it. So he's saying receive, which is our choice there, receive the implanted word into your, into your soul. And he says the result of that 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 implanted word has the power to what? Save your soul. Now, I thought we were all saved. What's he talking about? He's talking about saving our souls. What's our soul? Any ideas? Yeah. Generally, we use three terms. Mind, will, and emotions. Or our thoughts, our feelings, and our choices. Okay? So, when we come to Jesus... Our spirit, which is the part of us that connects to God, is saved, okay? We become born again. We all know that John 3 talks about Jesus and Nicodemus being born again. Our spirit, man and woman, is made alive to God. We call it regeneration. Romans chapter 6 through 8 talks about that. Lots of places in the scripture talk about that, being born again. Our spirit's made alive. We all of a sudden are now Connecting with God. That's our spiritual salvation. We've been saved. Our spirit's now saved. When we die as believers, what happens to our physical body? It's going to be transformed. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be like Jesus. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says that, or Jesus actually said, I think in John 14, 15, 16, right there, he said that, um, that, as, that you're going to be like me, your body in the resurrection. Our bodies are going to be saved. They're not, we're not going to be a ghost in heaven, okay? We're going, to be, we're going to have a resurrected body. 1 Corinthians 15 is probably the best chapter to read about that. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be probably the best you you've ever been. I'm thinking 25, 26, right in there. Right? Before I lost all my hair. So. <laughs> but 
That's your body. Now, if your spirit is saved, your body's going to be saved. It hasn't happened yet, obviously, right? We look at ourselves. But our soul, which is how we think and feel, is our hearts. That is a journey of being saved. Saved, that word sozo, has to do with being freed, delivered, healed, rescued. That's what saved means. And it is a journey. It is a process. And the implanted word in our lives is what causes that change, that transformation to happen in you and me as we walk daily with Jesus, as we encounter His Word, as we bring His Word into our lives and, and wrestle with it. Brooke and I do the uh, version uh, through the Bible study with many of you and, and uh, many friends that are not even in our area. They're all over the world, in the United States. And um, every morning we, we listen because I, I put it on I hit the speaker and it reads the Bible to us. We read about three or four chapters of Scripture every morning. We have coffee. That's a way, great way to start the day. You can do it whenever you want. I'm just saying, when you give God's Word an opportunity to impact you, you will never be the same. It will radically change you. That implanted Word will bring transformation in the way you think, in the way you feel, in, in every attitude you have. I am not the person I was even last year because the Word of God continues to impact me. And I pray that every one of you gives God's Word a room in your lives to change you. Whether you listen to it, watch it, or read it, it doesn't matter. It, it will impact you. Make room for it, though. Okay. So this rejecting of the bad and receiving of the Word that exchange is something that should go on daily in our lives, and that's really kind of a term, what really re repentance means for a believer, where you're, you're letting the Holy Spirit spotlight stuff, you're confessing it and repenting of it, and He's hauling it away, He's stowing it, and getting rid of it, as far as the east is from the west, he's, so far as He's separated our trans, transgressions from us, and He's replacing that with truth. That's what really what repentance is. And your soul is experiencing God's salvation. All right. Just a couple of quick questions here. We're going to wrap this up. So, actually, I think I'm going to wait on these. And I'm just going to move up a little bit. The, the third thing that James says in verses 22 through 25 is that hearing is not enough. Hearing, hearing His word is not enough. And this is very familiar for many of us. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only. And the result is that's deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but who, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right? I love the story Francis Chan tells. He, and I'd love to play the video. It's copyright stuff. You can't show YouTube videos in church. It's a, it's a copyright infringement unless you personally have asked the author for permission. And I didn't get a hold of Francis this week, so I'm not going to do that. 
But he talks about his daughter. He said, yeah, he said, uh, one day, he says, my teenage daughter is hanging out in the living room playing on her phone. And he says, I said to her, honey, I want you to go in and clean your room. Your room is a total mess. It's a wreck. I want you to go get it done. And so she goes off into the room, and about 15 minutes later, he goes and checks on her, and she says, Dad, I've totally memorized what you told me to do. I got it all down. You said to clean my room, pick up everything, and put it all away. I got it memorized, Dad. I heard you perfectly. She says, I can even tell you what the Greek word means for clean. So Francis is saying, did she do what she was asked to do? No. She just heard it. She didn't act on it. He does this. He tells the story much better than I do. You could look it up on YouTube. Just type in Francis, daughter, clean room, and you'll, you'll get it if you look it up. He's saying there that there's two lies that are mentioned in this. And this, there's two deceptions based on two lies. The first deception is that hearing God's word is good enough. That that satisfies God. And James makes very, very clear that if you just hear it and you don't act, you're going to deceive yourself. How do you deceive yourself? Because if you, if you hear the message and just think, oh, I heard a good word today. Boy, we really had a good sermon in church. Or I heard a good, we had a good Bible study. Really got the word today. But you don't act on it. Something changes in you to where you just kind of become satisfied with that. And then the next time you hear another sermon or something and you don't do anything, that becomes a lifestyle. You actually harden your heart. And God is saying, if you don't act on the word, you're de gonna deceive. You're gonna end up being a deceived person. How many of you want to be a deceived person? Want to experience deception? I don't think any of you do. I don't. So God is challenging you and me. When you hear God's word, do it. If you know He's speaking to you, you have to do something. You have to do something to respond and to walk that out. I remember one time going, God, I haven't heard your voice in a long time. What's going on here, Lord? Are you, are you mad at me? Are you hiding from me? And the Lord spoke to me. I told this to Francisca. The Lord spoke to me and said, I'm just waiting for you to do the last thing I asked you to do. It's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, that was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, I heard what you said, but I didn't do it. And the Lord's going, yep, I'm waiting. You know, I think God goes silent just to get our attention sometimes. And he wants us to respond to what he is speaking. He will honor that. So that's the first deception. In between these two deceptions, there are two things about looking that he talks about. One is look, the guy who looks and forgets. Remember the story? He looks into his mirror. He's shaving. He cuts himself. He's got a big bloody thing right there on his cheek. And, and then... He goes, oh gosh, I cut myself. And then he, he closes the mirror, turns the light off in the bathroom, and goes to work and, and forgets all about what he looks like. He goes to work and everybody else goes, ha ha, he's looking. He cut himself shaving. You know, that's the first person. And he says that if you're a hearer and not a doer, that's you. You're deceived and everybody else will see it except you. If you don't recognize that there's a problem. The second look, he talks about a person who looks 
and realizes they need change. And they do something that it's really interesting, the wording here. It says they look into this perfect law, the law of liberty, and they persevere. What does that mean? As I looked at that in the original language, I realized what it means. They're looking into the law or the principle of being transformed by the spirit of liberty. They're looking, when they look and see the stuff that in the mirror that's wrong, that they've done, they go to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for forgiveness. I repent for what I've walked in. I receive that freedom you give me. I receive transformation. And Lord, heal me, my cheek or whatever it is, whatever the thing is the Holy Spirit is spotlighting on. So when you see that phrase, they look into the perfect law of liberty, it's talking about they engage in this principle of being transformed through forgiveness and the Word of God renewing their minds. Okay? So that's the second person who looks. Are you going to be the first person that looks and forgets? Are you going to be the second person who looks and is transformed? And then he says, and perseveres. What does that tell you? I tried it once. It didn't work. It tells me that you're going to get a lot of opportunities to, to do this stuff. God's going to show you things. He's going to, when you look into your mirror, which might be your wife or your husband, and you see yourself reflected, God is saying, hey, here's an opportunity. Are you going to forget and just pretend it didn't, isn't true and go on? Or are you going to come to me and say, Lord, I want to be transformed. I, Lord, I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. I want to change. I want to have authentic, true relationships with the people I love. Persevere means you've got to stick with it. You can't just give up because it's hard. It does get better as you go along. And it says that person will be blessed in the doing. That means God is going to give you favor if you keep going that way and you do things His way. You're not a fake faither, but you're the real deal. Okay, let's look at the last point. What does doing look like? James 1, 26 and 27, the last two verses. If anybody thinks he's religious, but he doesn't bridle, means to curb or restrain his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And it really literally means ineffective, empty, and unproductive. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And it's talking about the world system there, not the physical planet. It's talking about the culture. Okay? So James says, what, is, what does it mean to do instead of just hear? He gives us a very, some very clear things. He gives us an inner expression of doing and an outer expression of doing. So, here he talks about the second deception, which is people that think they are religious because they got a good talk. How many of you have met people who could talk the talk, but they didn't walk the walk? They could use the lingo and sound spiritual, 
But when you pushed, there wasn't any substance behind it. That's inauthentic. That's fake faith. People can just talk the talk. James says that if a person thinks that they can just get away with putting on the show, the exterior and the talk, they are also deceived. Okay? God's looking for the real thing in our lives. He wants to be the real thing in our lives. So the second lie is I can trash talk, I can cut people with my tongue and be okay with God. Nope, you can't. There are husbands in this room that are cutting their wives down with their tongue. God's not good with that. You are not okay with God if you are cutting your wife, using your tongue as a weapon. If there are wives that are cutting their husband up, degrading him, disrespecting him with their tongue, God's not good with that. He's calling you to bring your tongue to him. He wants to make some changes. He wants to transform you. He wants you to be a person. Ephesians 4.29 says that we're to use our tongue and our words to give grace or favor or strength to the people around us. That we're to use them, we're to, use them to build up. That's what the word edify means. To build up, to strengthen Minister grace to the hearers. So how are you doing in your talking and the, with the people that you love the most? Are you using your tongue as a weapon? So James goes on and he, he gives us, says two things. I'm going to do them in opposite order that James does. The first thing I'm going to do is talk about the inner expression. The inner expression, he says that this person who has real religion, real faith and not fake faith, it says that they keep themselves unstained or unpolluted from the culture. Okay? So they are intentional about not wanting to get slimed. How many of you guys remember slime? Did they still make slime for kids? But they do. <laughs> it really is slime. We used to make our own slime out of uh, Dawn soap and things like that. But um, it really works. But have you ever been slimed where you were, with, you were in a room and somebody was kind of barfing their, their stuff, their story, their, their garbage all over you, and when you left the room you felt like, Ugh, I'm all, I've been around this person and I feel slimed. Well, James says that a real spiritual person keeps themselves unspotted. Now, sometimes you can't avoid being around people that are bleh all over you. But a lot of times you can see things coming and going, you know, I'm not going to get involved in it. I'm not going to see that movie. I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to watch this. I want to keep my heart clean before God. I don't want to get involved in this or, or go do that. I want to walk. I want to feel like I'm close to God. And James says that a real spiritual person is savvy to their environment and so that they don't get polluted by the stuff around them. Okay? The second thing he says about them is that they, and this, this is the very practical, is that they actually do things to help the people in need around them. James gives two examples. He gives orphans and widows. Now, in his day, orphans and widows was a really, really, really big thing. We have orphans and widows in our midst. They don't necessarily look like orphans and widows the way we've classically defined them. We have kids who don't have a dad in their lives. I bet you guys can think of three or four just right off the top of your head. We have women 
that are, un, that are um, single moms raising kids. He's talking about a group of people that have got life stacked against them. Okay? Don't just lock into widows and orphans. Think about human trafficking. Think about um, teenagers that don't have a dad in their life. Think about people who are vulnerable to the onslaught of the culture around them. Those are the people that we, of all people, as believers, if we have authentic faith, are going to be a support to, an encouragement to. Okay? So there's that inner expression of keeping yourself from getting slimed and the outer expression of showing compassion and support to the people around us that really need it. So in closing here, I want to share a little story. Um, there's a lady in our church, and I won't use her name because I haven't asked permission, who uh, was working at a job and she ran into a, a gal who's a, I think an, a high school student and uh, got to know her and to love her. And that student um, is... Uh, starting, uh, started um, CSC, Shatteron State College, this fall, and they didn't have any support in their lives. They didn't have a parent that was able to help them. And so they went to college, and they didn't even know that they had a meal plan with their dorm room. And so this student was buying Top Ramen or, or you know, snacks and just trying to survive without any money and, and not realizing that they had a meal plan that covered all their meals. Because nobody was there mentoring them in their life. And this person in our church realized what was going on, came alongside that person, helped them understand what was going on, helped them understand that they had, with their tuition and their room and board, Tim's a meal plan so this person could eat. And she also connected them to the Chi Alpha ministry in Shadron. So now they have Christian fellowship. And I just that is such a great example of what James is talking about here, caring for the people that are needy around us. So as we close, I just want to ask you a few questions this morning. Are you a listener who focuses and really gives your attention to the people that are asking you to hear them? Think about the people that you've had conversations with recently. Or are you getting impatient? Are you looking at your phone. I talked to a grandparent the other day and they said, yeah, the, our kids came over with the grandchildren and we had a wonderful conversation with the kids, but the grandchildren were on their phones the whole time. They didn't even look up once. And when we said goodbye, they went out the door looking at their phone. Now, that's really the parent's responsibility to go, you know what? We've got to teach our kids some healthy boundaries. But that grandparent's heart was broken because they wanted to have a relationship with their grandkids. So are you really a listener that gives the gift of your attention? Are you a talker who waits until you've heard everything that is to be said before you rush in with your words? Are your words backed up with real conviction? Or are they based on assumption? Are you a doer who puts into daily practice the values that God is forming in you? Are you letting the Lord clean the stuff out of your heart that needs to be cleaned so you can really have authentic relationships? When you look around you and see people that are in need, are you helping? Opportunities. We have community table in our community here that feeds 
people uh, uh, four days a week at the uh, across from the bank in the Masonic building and uh, has nothing to do with Masons. It's just a, a, a kitchen and a place for people to eat. And they're just looking for people to come put sandwiches together or to, or to pass them out. If you can help out there, there's a great opportunity for helping people that are, are in need. Um, the fire that happened out here in Crawford, there are firefighter crews that have come in that um, need to be fed. And uh, they're asking for folks that can help out by going to the Crawford Community Center tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday just to help uh, feed firefighter crews that are coming in and out. And uh, there's an opportunity if, you're, if you have time to be available. So those are just a couple instances. But we, if you look around you, there are opportunities to love people in Jesus' name, to show that love by being a doer and not just a hearer. So let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Lord, we just admit we need your help. We need you to help us stow the stuff that's clogging our hearts from being able to really have authentic relationships and authentic communication. We need you, Lord, to cause that implanted word to transform our thinking. Lord, help us to be listeners, to give the gift of our listening, to be those that check, check our tongue until others have had a chance to really say everything on their heart. Lord, I pray you'd help me in my relationship. Lord, also, help us with our emotions, our reacting, being quick to form opinions before we even had a chance to really hear. Give us the ability, Lord, to really understand those around us, to listen to their stories with such attention that they know they are loved. Lord, help us to see the opportunities you're putting in front of us to act on the things you're speaking to us, to be doers and not hearers only. God, we don't want to be people that walk around deceived. Help us, Lord, to listen to you and act on the things you're showing us. I just thank you so much for your people, Lord. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, in your mercy to help us to walk these things out. God, we've, you've given us a lot today in your word. We need your help, Lord. So I ask you bless your people. I pray, Lord, that today you would help all of us to take a step towards being a doer. And we just thank you for the power of your word now and I ask you bless your people as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, the altar.